Many factors have to be taken into consideration before the right formula is ascertained. again with the sixth episode of Beauty GPS in the Hot Seat. I'm your navigator, Mary Shook. Social media has created a lot of noise and voices in the skincare industry, along with access to unregulated ingredients and potentially dangerous skincare. And forget finding the fountain of youth. Just finding a skincare product that doesn't leave your skin dry or broken out these days is enough to throw even Ponce de Leon off course. Today, I'm excited to introduce Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu, two chemical engineers turned L'Oreal skincare formulators, turned social media skincare advocates, turned skincare brand owners. Today, the gals from Chemist Confessions and I discuss CBD and probiotics in skincare, why Vaseline is still the gold standard after 140 years, and get ready for a bold glimpse behind the scenes of the formulation process. I guarantee it's not what you think. Now sit back and enjoy the show. And thanks for listening. Welcome to the hot seat. Thank you. Thank you so much for <laughs> inviting us on. We're really excited to be here. Yeah. So you guys are the co-founders of a skincare line uh, called Chem's Confessions. And I brought you onto the show because I love that you guys aren't afraid to bring transparency about your brands or brands in general on Instagram. Our second guest, actually, Kevin James Bennett, actually adores you guys. So I just knew that if you've made it through his litmus test, that you're, you're, (laughs) you've already won half the battle. (laughs) He is awesome. You know, I'm just only, I I wish we knew him earlier because that, he's hilarious. And I just love how real he keeps it. So that's great. (laughs) Well, but he's knowledgeable. He he happens to be funny, but he's very knowledgeable and he's not afraid to point things out. And that's what I kind of am drawn into by you. And I think your your future consumers and our listeners are also going to identify with is that you do have a way to say, hey, listen, like you caught me when you mentioned here's drunk elephant and you're like, hmm, silicones. Okay, silicones are okay with you guys? (laughs) I was like, ooh, wow. Okay, well, interesting, which we'll talk about that here soon. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we were expecting what that turned into, right, Gloria? <laughs> yeah, oh that was that opens a whole thing with the natural group and how people mm-hmm. define that. So, as chemists, you're going to define that differently than someone from EWG or any other group. It's so okay. personal to a lot of people. Do you now have a different perspective on these brands now that you have your own? Even from the get-go, we try to maintain a pretty neutral voice, right? A lot of people sometimes. A few of our followers will construe our decodes as personal reviews, but that's not really what it's meant to be. And we just try to we just try to point out um, certain key ingredients and um, and present the information we think people should know for them to make a good decision about a brand. And our channel has always been kind of playful and neutral since we started. We do, for the most part, we do appreciate the difficulties of marketing and talking to people and making the sciences digestible. The one thing that, at least for me, I definitely haven't changed on is I still find those really, really foo-foo-y, almost supernatural claims hilarious and I think very fashionable. <laughs> so, be- 
and yeah, that's me. <laughs> you know, there's this kind of like knee-jerk reaction that's happening when um, people hear from influencers and celebrities rave about products or, you know, hate a product. And then, you know, you're like, oh my God, like I'm using the, I've been using the wrong product all the time, you know, and that's simply not true. Like this is why skincare is so complicated and the market is so saturated is because that, you know, um, every skin, everybody's skin is just so different and reacts so differently. So the goal for us is just simply to kind of like add our chemist take on things. Um, and since we've been like working with the ingredients and, you know, we make all the formulas. You're doing a lot of calling out at ingredients and popular brands. And so are, are the brands getting pissed off? Like what's, what's been the, the feedback? Um, <laughs> well, we, so, okay. So we try to keep, um, you know, the decodes as objective as possible because the goal here is not to, um, really shame any brands or anything like that. The goal is to, you know, kind of give our like chemist perspective on things and leave it up to users to kind of like make that choice for their skin. You guys are actually legit chemists and you before started out at L'Oreal. But the thing is, is that, you know, why, why did you all decide to leave L'Oreal, first of all? And then from there, um, you know, wh what makes the difference between as far as being a chemist and a formulator? Let me, let me first start with those two questions. So for Gloria and I, we're formulators. So we um, work with all of the raw material, the raw ingredients, and we figure out a way to put them all into a formula like a cream and then uh, uh, make sure that you know it holds up in terms of shelf life and um, you know uh, like ingredient integrity as a chemist like we we actually don't get a lot of say in how the formula is made you know really? because there is oh, yeah there's always a marketing agenda you know what's trending and what's you know what's a niche that you can target you know, so for us, like we simply build a formula around, you know, the marketing, the marketed ingredient. Um, and then, of course, after that, then we oversee kind of like all of the quality checks that happen with that. Um, so Gloria and I, um, how we met. Yeah, we both met at L'Oreal. We were cubicle buddies. And um, <laughs> it just so happened that we both uh, just we kind of ended up leaving at the same time. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't coordinated in any way. Um, you didn't defect? <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't defect together. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you have a skincare background? Like, do you work on skin? Or is it something where you guys see something on paperwork and you're like, okay, this is a base formula and we're going to end up working with these actives. And so everything's kind of in theory, it feels like, when you're formulating. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so, Gloria and I, our backgrounds are, we're actually chemical engineers. We learn most oh. of our, yeah, we learn most of our, you know, cosmetic chemistry um, within L'Oreal. So, um, and L'Oreal is a great company in that, you know, they definitely put a lot of effort behind, you know, the R&D side. Um, so, we learned a lot and as a skincare chemist, not only do you um, formulate, but um, at least like in L'Oreal, what they also conduct like, um, internal studies, consumer studies to test out these formulas. 
Well, and I had just read there's an incubator with L'Oreal that they're joining with the Ubiome to look into the microbiome of skincare. And mm-hmm. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Because the biome has been like a buzzword lately in the industry yes. and just yes. getting to market. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So um, actually, we think the field is fantastic. We're really excited about it. We think that um, it's definitely an integral part. Um, however, there is definitely a lack of understanding. Um, it's So right now, the general consensus is that the biome is studying the diverse like flora of your skin. So that includes bacteria, fungi, and viruses. And um, by this kind of like balance of all of these microorganisms um, definitely plays a key part um, in the overall health of the skin. So that's the general understanding. But um, right now we're still in the midst of like mapping out, you know, that flora and like really understanding what this means, you know, and it's different um, um, amongst like different skin types. So because of that, like, how we approach this balance um, does play a key part in overall skin health. And, you know, but we're still in the midst of mapping out that flora. And so, you know, the, do we know the method of, a, of how to like really treat and, you know, cultivate this flora? No. So a lot of the probiotic skincare out there is still relatively rudimentary. Um, okay. And so, um, are we jumping, are Gloria and I like jumping at the idea of making a probiotic skincare currently? No, like we're still waiting. Right now, I want everyone to know that I think sometimes in skincare, there's a difficulty of the chicken and egg question. Um, interest and buzz leads to more funding and time and research and mm-hmm. it, it leads to more, it leads to better products. But on the, at the same time, people can't wait to push products out there claiming microbiome benefits and just know that it's a very early field. And not all of the products out there that claim to benefit really have all the benefits they claim because we still don't have a complete and, uh, understanding of the field yet. So, uh, Victoria, what, what do you think is the most difficult thing to formulate? Ooh, sunscreens and some of the higher level active serums. Oh, do you agree with that, Gloria? Sunscreen, yes, for sure. And um, also what Victoria said um, with active, but not stable active. The classics would be retinol and vitamin C. Mm, okay. Yeah, because they're super active. Just to be clear, you guys both started a line. Um, and why would you all decide to enter into an already crowded category? Uh, let's start with you, Victoria. Um, you know, I think part part of a chemist's dream is like always to kind of make formulas that you want to make. And I think okay. for Gloria and I, the very important thing was to make things that weren't, that either could be done much better or is not out there yet, you know, or else there's no point of us putting out another product out there, you know. Tell me about your uh, division called the hatchery. Uh, you know, like what what is that? And... Has it helped you learn the difference between the theory of a formula and what's out in the real world? (laughs) Yeah, so the Hatchery is our product development incubator we just started. Um, We basically um, 
are trying to involve some of our followers who are extremely knowledgeable and kind of include them in the product development process. Um, so we just completed our first one, which was um, they had to kind of try out two of our cleanser formulas. Um, and how has it helped us? I think, um, you know, this is actually something that we've, um, we typically do have done at L'Oreal as well. Um, but for us, it's always like the, you know, having another, all these other outside opinions help us because between Gloria and I, we only have two faces that are using all of these cleansers. And, um, you know, so just bringing in all of these people and their opinions um, has been not only a lot of fun, but just we, they pick up on these awesome details um, that we may have overlooked. So it was, it's great. We're going to do another one in hopefully a couple weeks. We really like finding out actually um, how accurate our perceptions are because having worked in the industry for so long, your opinion gets corrupted actually because you, you don't <laughs> experience a product like a regular consumer anymore. Like you pick up things that most people wouldn't notice. So sometimes it's hard to, for us to judge a formula with a blank slate. You know, because people out in the world are not saying, oh, I'm having this reaction. They just stop buying the product and the company never gets that feedback. So on a smaller scale, you guys are getting that firsthand feedback, which has got to be kind of pretty awesome for you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I think the yeah. thing for us that I've learned, like leaving the industry is, you know, before texture of a formula used to be so important. You know, like making sure that, you know, they, they have all these like sensorial qualities that you look for. But I found that like, you know, maybe it's also a product of like how the market is evolving and how customers are evolving as well, where like everyone's looking for efficacy now. And um, I think the texture is like less of a issue. And that's something that at least for me was like a real realization as we're like doing the hatchery and like creating these products too. Cool. I want to fire off an ingredient round and if each of you guys could take turns and just answering questions about these ingredients. First of all, what is niacinamide and why is it in so many Asian skincare products? Niacinamide. Okay, I'll take this one. This one is one that we talk about a lot. Niacinamide is also, um, it's an MI form of vitamin B3. It's in so many Asian products, mostly because it helps with whitening. And um, in Asian culture, um, everyone wants that flawless um, glassy skin and pigmentation is a big issue in, skin, uh, in Asian skincare. So that's why I think everything. And the reason why it, it's um, in so many whitening products is not necessarily just for its whitening um, properties. It's because it's a good multifunctional ingredient. It also helps boost your barrier function and provides long-term um, uh, long-term long-term moisturization properties and this helps a lot when you use other uh, other harsh ingredients like say retinol it has been clinically shown to reduce retinol irritation so it's just an ingredient that's helpful and useful in everything and on the formulation side it is also really easy to just toss it in because it's very water soluble so a lot of times it's a no-brainer to just say okay let me drizzle in some niacinamide and make this whole um formula better so yep <laughs> think a lot of marketing claims do like um they kind of that in the ingredient list the niacinamide is actually the big player to give them those claims uh, even though they don't okay. call it out mm -hmm. okay 
Um, so next subject, have you guys studied CBD in skincare? Um, is it hype? <laughs> and what should people be looking for? Yeah, uh, no, we, we know we haven't really looked too much into this. Um, it's definitely a lot of hype, um, but potential, there's also a lot of potential and a lot of money is being dumped into the research behind it. So, uh, again, it's also another category where and I are kind of like waiting around to hear more research on. Interesting. The Chinese FDA had reported a couple of years ago that one in four beauty masks had banned steroids in them. They were hidden. And so a lot of that ends up coming from Korea, South Korea. And apparently even earlier in this decade, there were actually a lot of different companies that had hidden steroids um, in their skin creams. And they tend to be in brightening or calming or other types of products. So they're all hidden in there. So my, my question to you guys is, should consumers in general be concerned about this because i don't think this is something like a bigger company would do like l'oreal or estee lauder right i mean and to your point this is something where um going for a big company um type like a l'oreal estee lauder products have those benefits because it is highly unlikely that these people will be negligent about the um or or downright um putting illegal substances in their product and we 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 see this it's definitely something you should be concerned about if you're buying say an import product off of um amazon or wherever because just know that it's highly unregulated and you can't really say one way or another that doesn't have these substances in there okay yeah because it's just something that my it's on my radar now again (laughs) and i'm starting to see skin that um when customers go off of certain skincare products, they're having sores and sensitivities that would happen with steroid use. So it's, it seems like it's sneaking back into stuff. But I, I like you guys are saying, I don't think you're going to find that in the bigger brand products. I feel like it's going to be in more of the independent brands. And especially with, it, so with the internet, it's so easy to buy stuff from God knows where now. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it is really hard to... Um, be be mindful that uh, these really cheap math alternatives you can find on just by Googling, you don't know where it's coming from and it is a real concern. Yeah. Um, here's another weird thing. What are your thoughts on consumers using coconut oil, coconut oil as sunscreen? No. Ooh, don't do it. Stop. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. <laughs> all the oils that have one of the highest um, rates of comedogenicity, which, yeah, it's the culprit behind breakouts. That that solves that. So forget even sunscreen, it shouldn't be on your face. Excellent. Right. Um, And then the last really tough one is I'm noticing that consumers are starting to go on YouTube and forums like Reddit and complaining about reactions to hyaluronic acid. Um, I've even read where like fragmented proteins in hyaluronic acid can cause inflammation. What do you know about this? So it's unlikely that they're reacting to hyaluronic acid itself. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it depends on where they're buying them from, from reputable brands or from hyaluronic acid serums at $3 a pack from Amazon. That's when quality definitely matters. Um, mm-hmm. And what's irritating them might be the rest of uh, the formula. We don't know. Mm-hmm. And to your point about segments, their hyaluronic acids are usually really large molecules. 
And there's an anti-aging trend of claiming to use much smaller segmented versions of hyaluronic acid um, to help penetrate and give you that plump. And oh, sometimes when those segments get too small, that's when you have pretty bad reactions because these um, smaller molecules of hyaluronic acid can be sensitizing. That's usually it. So you you would advise that if someone's claiming that they have like smaller molecules, be careful because they might create a reaction. Right. So usually um, the, the, the going to like the numbers, if it's smaller than 50,000 K Daltons, then it's more likely that you will have an unpleasant reaction from it. Um, but no one, no one out there is really putting that kind of number on the bottle. So if they claim anti-aging, claim small molecules, just be a little bit more cautious. Okay. No, that's helpful. Thank you. I'd like to go ahead and open up questions. Courtney, that's on the line. Uh, where are you from? Springfield, Missouri. Ah, welcome. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. Okay, so here's my question. I mean, I love hearing about all of the biomes and super science-y stuff, but I actually have a question that's a little bit more low-tech because I just would love to get your opinions on essential oils and skincare Ooh. because... I get asked about it all the time. This isn't about me, but I have a skincare boutique. Mary knows about it. Anyway, I get asked about essential oils all the time. And, you know, they're popping up in everything, even dermatology brands, um, you know, mm -hmm. obviously the natural brands. People are making their own. There's like this cult of essential oils thing going on. And I'm generally not for putting essential oils like directly on the skin or on the face but I just I don't really have a clear answer when people ask me about putting essential oils in their skin first of all you are correct that you should never put undiluted essential oils on the skin it, it's pretty harsh and can be sensitizing um and they're usually there for scent I don't, I wouldn't say expect any miracles from them. I know some brands out there kind of claim anti-aging, anti-biz, like all these great benefits. They're not, for the most part, they're not going to be delivering the same level of efficacy as, say, the retinols. Um, in terms of um, so if some are better than others, there's a few. So essential oils can be personal. One of the biggest risks of essential oils is that because it's such a blend of unique chemicals, it can be very sensitizing to the end user. We have followers who basically avoid essential oils at all costs because a lot of essential oils can be sensitizing. And a big category to call out is the citrus, uh, the citrus ones like bergamot, yeah. Um, grapefruit, orange, they tend to, um, citrusy essential oils smell great. That's why they're really prevalent. But they're in level, everything. They, they smell so they're good. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They smell great, but they can lead to um, issues like photosensitivity, which makes you make your skin more easily damaged by the sun. Um, and they can go bad themselves pretty fast. And that's, um, those are the ones that um, I, I will avoid or like be a little bit more cautious about. But beyond that, anything with essential oil should be patched test because some essential oil blends can cause pretty bad, um, bad reactions just in terms of allergies. But that's, again, a personal. So beyond that, okay. again, like I wouldn't expect miracles from them. <laughs> okay. So if, I guess then if somebody doesn't, get reactions <clears throat> like for me when I put anything essential oil on my face or even worse my neck 
I break out in these like gigantic zits everywhere. Disgusting. Oof. It looks like uh-huh. chicken pox. But if you <laughs> don't get that reaction, as long as they're diluted into a formula, like it's okay, I guess, then if you're not having yes. a bad reaction. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they should be fairly diluted. Like definitely nothing over 5%. A lot of times it's actually in there under 1% is completely um, enough. Okay. Okay. I think um, the only thing I would add is um, tea tree oil is kind of that one special essential oh, right. oil that, um, yeah. you know, has shown to have like antimicrobial properties and it's kind right. of, you know, always a nice like kind of booster to people who care about like um, oily and acne. Um, there's definitely yeah. okay. data behind that. That's like really the only one special instance um, that essential oils really has any sort of science backing. Okay. Thank you. That was a great question, Courtney. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, I think about these things a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We have Alice that's in New York. She says she has dark skin and she just found out about about an expensive doctor line that's catering to dark skin. She said, aside from seeking cocoa and shea butters to keep her from being ashy, does she really need a skincare line that's specific to her skin tone? skin tone or is it just marketing hmm. I, I would say that's more marketing and the only time there would really be any difference is sunscreen um, and then the other part would be pigmentation actives um, sometimes you need for darker skin people it's um, something to go about like just really um, I guess really small baby steps um, in terms of you know any sort of pigmentation issue um, but yeah, okay. sunscreen is the one where like people, we get a lot of, um, of our followers asking how do they can find a sunscreen that helps with, you know, prevent that kind of like, um, I guess like that white cast. And I, mm-hmm. I have that issue too. Um, so we tend to actually recommend chemical sunscreens um, to kind of avoid that problem. A lot of the chemical sunscreens with the zones, I call them the zones. They end up breaking out a lot of people. So I, I tend to tell people to go for more of the physical blocks versus that. But yeah. you're right with dark skin. It's like, what do you do? Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. And we also tell, you know, um, those who are struggling with acne to go for the minerals as well. Um, but mm-hmm. if you just like, you know, you need sunscreen protection and I hate like the white cast. So I take that risk. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, Then we've got Heather, also in New York. She keeps reacting to products. She's so sensitive now uh, about the only thing she can wear is Vaseline. What do you suggest? Mm. That's (laughs) definitely a rough problem, and we feel for her. Um, I'm not sure what all she has reacted to before. Um, We suggest definitely go to a derm and get a patch test. It's easier to narrow down the ones you you are definitely allergic mm-hmm. to and you have a clear list of what you avoid and we can tell you that for the most part um honestly it's what what she should avoid can be pretty personal there are lots of brands out there that market for sensitive skin individuals and they avoid quote-unquote like no-nos bad ingredients that can be bad for you but a lot of times what people find uh, end up finding out what's really irritating them can be surprising so definitely suggest that, and it sounds like what she's um, sensitive to is something very common if she's had a reaction to almost everything. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we well, if she wants to ever shoot us an email for us to kind of decode and kind of narrow down direction where she should go, and we would love to help. 
Oh, that's yeah. a great idea. Thank you. Hard. Yeah, it will be hard, kind of hard for us to make a radio diagnostic without seeing what she's reacted to before. Do you narrow down ingredients for people? Yeah, so people, um, we have a couple who are in kind of like the same boat as her, and that's our go-to question. It's like, you know, what are you currently using? What have you used before? And then try to see what's the common pr- troublemaker, I guess. Okay. Interesting. Well, thank you. And I, I think it's also a good idea just to get those tests done with the dermatologist. People like to do a lot of their right. self Dr. Google and everything else, and they just forget, hey, I could be going to a dermatologist. So thank you for reminding everyone that that is a source and a tool and they don't just inject. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so Sarah in Pittsburgh says she's stuck in a parade right now for, uh, St. Patrick's Day. So she said she's always had eczema and just when she finds something she likes, a formula changes. She says, why do companies keep changing their formulas all the time? And what would you suggest also for mature skin with eczema for anti-aging? Because not only does she have to now combat eczema, but she also has to worry about aging. Question. So, um, yeah, it is a great question. Typically for eczema, um, we are a little bit hesitant to um, recommend just because, you know, we feel like it's actual a skin condition and a doctor should be the best one to kind of sign off on her routine. Um, mm-hmm. um, but um, with eczema, um, we have seen that um, there's a couple of things that can help. Um, so um, using um, actually caring about the pH of your cleanser can help. Um, mm. And then also um, ceramides are a great active to look for. And just making sure you um, incorporate some sort of inclus- occlusive, like a, p- a petrolatum into your skincare to make sure skin is like, um, I guess, well protected. Because the issue with eczema is that, you know, your barriers compromise. And so when that happens, you have, um, you're just more prone for allergens to come in and really irritate the skin. Okay. No, that sounds good. And so... For her, um, you said she's um, mature skin, um, wants to look for anti-aging. That part is more tough because a lot of, um, I guess, the typical skincare actives that Gore and I would recommend, um, they definitely have a higher irritation potential. Um, And yeah, I, I think I'm more hesitant to. Uh, suggest one. Gloria, do you have one off the top of your head? Off the top of my head um, is definitely finding one that finding a sunscreen that her uh, eczema prone skin can tolerate because wearing sunscreen Mm -hmm. every day is pretty much the best anti-aging treatment you can have. Going back to her first question of why do companies change um, change formulas on you? Uh, Well, it it can happen for a lot of reasons. Um, A lot of times it's probably driven by marketing. And, mm. and trends. So a formula might have been okay, and all of a sudden, um, their market demands for this product to go for the all natural or this and that, or a preservative is has fallen out of grace, and they need to change a preservation system. Sometimes you have to change the whole formula to cater to that. And mm. um, and once in a while, you'll get the rare case of a discontinuation of a of an ingredient, and you also have to change base um around that. So that's usually the main reasons for changing formulas. And a lot of times, um, 
formulas become irrelevant, uh, a, a company might feel like this product is not doing as well. And by reformulating it and relaunching it, it might give a new life. So mm-hmm. that's usually why formulas are changed. Another oh, issue sorry. is scale is scalability. Um, maybe the product has grown and like somehow in the processing, um, it's it's just there. There's a lot of problem problems with the formula, and that can be a prop factor too. I have two more questions. I actually have a guy. Uh, his name's John in Chicago. He likes to grab his wife's beauty creams because he sees a difference in his skin. Um, he wants to know if he should be really using a men's skincare product line instead. Is there really a difference? Great question. Um, no, there's no... I guess the only difference um, in... The only really significant difference between males and um, female skin is that um, men tend to produce more oil um, just because of testosterone. Um, So, you know, um, it's there's a tendency to, you know, pitch gravitate towards the lighter formulas. But other than that, all of the actives and those benefits, um, they function all in the same way. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. We always say listen to your skin. If he loves his wife's skin cream and it works for him, yeah. no, save himself the heartache. Don't don't go on a blind goose chase because I think he's just going to be disappointed. Well, but it's funny because I hear this with other wives. They're like, my husband just used this and I'm out of it and I never know I'm out and I wish he'd get his own. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel for the women. <laughs> But get your own, yes. No, that's what he wants to hear. No, I'm just joking. Okay, that's cool. Well, that's that's interesting. And so um, going back to silicone, Sarah in L.A. read silicone stretches the pores. Is this true? And if so, why is it in skincare? Oh, silicone, a million-dollar question. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, it's definitely a common misconception. Silicone can work as, um, first of all, it's a very broad category. It comes in all sorts of forms. As raw materials, you'll see them in waxy forms, in um, kind of a, a thick gunk. There's some that's really thin liquid. It just comes in all sorts of forms. I think most commonly people refer to dimethicone when they think of silicone, which can be used as a as an inclusive barrier to seal in the moisture, which which your skin does need. It doesn't clog the pore per se. You know, it, it does sit on your skin and make that barrier. And contrary to popular belief, that barrier is actually a lot more breathable, it's a lot more gas permeable than its organic counterpart. So if you use a wax or a butter to achieve the same type of um, occlusion, then it's more likely that um, it, then that barrier is less air permeable and you might he- feel stuffy and, um, and yeah. So it, it's definitely a misconception. It, it's not necessarily an ingredient for everyone because there are people who uh, whose skin may not tolerate silicone, but silicone, because it's such a sterile, simple ingredient, for those with very sensitive skin, they can definitely be the difference maker because a lot of times with, again, organic waxes and oils, um, some people might find the impurities from processing those ingredients be irritating and may uh, cause some flare-ups. Also, um, silicones can create some really beautiful textures. Um, like the that's kind of I think that's why like it's incorporated into cosmetics and I think um I've always been thinking I, I guess the philosophical question for me is like where did this how did this kind of like um this kind of like stereotype come from 
And I think it, I, I'm guessing that it comes from sunscreen because oh. sunscreens, um, they are supposed to create this um, film on the skin. And, you know, the textures of most sunscreens are really yucky. You know, um, they just have that kind of drag and heaviness and greasiness that a lot of people don't like. And so what happens is they, um, brand companies will put in a lot of um, silicones into these products. Um, but this is a theory I'm formulating. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of like my two cents on it. What are your beauty hacks? <laughs> Victoria, want to go first? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess for me, um, kind of running around lately for the um, for chemist confessions, um, I forget to hydrate. So, <laughs> so I actually um, try to always add like um, some electrolytes to like my water, and I found that mm. actually helped me just like in terms of not just like skin wise, but just lifestyle wise and. Um, just overall health. And then the other beauty hack, which I actually learned from my sister, not even from um, being in the industry, was way back in the day, we, I'd use, if I had no um, makeup cleanser, or I guess like makeup remover, and I didn't pack it, um, I actually used Vaseline to kind of like remove the really stubborn eyeliner that I'll huh. use. I used to use Bobbi Brown, that gel. Um, you know, I don't know if you know that one, the pigment, it's like in a glass jar and that is stays on for forever. And so oh. I would just use Vaseline to kind of like rub, rub it off and that would come right off. And my eyelids feel, don't feel like completely dried out. <laughs> well, it's kind of like a cold cream when you do that too. And I know there's a famous, uh, dermatologist Dr. Shireen addressed that she also is a huge fan of just Vaseline around the eyes and the skin so Vaseline yeah. I don't think is going away <laughs> no it should, it should not it is the gold standard occlusive like it should not <laughs> well it's it's when people are super sensitive it seems to be the only thing that certain people can use so yes Petrol or not, it's around. <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, a, a lifestyle one I want to add to the tutorials, I just take two huge tablets of melatonin and get a solid eight hours of sleep when I can. And oh. Yeah, it, it, it helps me a lot. Um, I can't really take other sleeping aids because it just, it affects me too much. Or like knock me out like just horse tranquilizer and it just, it's too much. And I can't, I wake up so groggy, but just a little bit of melatonin helps me a lot. Especially when we fly around and go to different time zones and um, helps me adjust much faster. Or helps me just sleep the whole flight and wake up ready to go. And um, an actual skincare beauty hack I have is... Um, this, this I've been doing for some time is when you want to do an AHA mask and you're starting to realize your skin is adjusting and the same like say 10% that you've been using is not quite doing it for you. I will use a mud mask mask uh, first before I do the AHA mask because this is kind of goes along with the esthetician degreasing your face before uh, a peel. It definitely yeah. boosts the penetration and the efficacy of what you already have on hand already. And it's not always about just boosting concentration, just about the use experience too. And it's helped me a lot. And because I can't use the retinols without shedding like crazy. So I rely on AJs for the most part. Oh, interesting. 
Well, then that that's another question is that do you find that when people have oily skin, that barrier actually becomes a barrier to specific products? Oh, yes, for sure, because it's for vitamin C, AHAs, um, these water-based ingredients, um, it, the oils definitely prevent them from really penetrating and working as well as, the, uh, as, well as it should. That's why cell acid is so important for um, people with oily acneic skin because it's oil-soluble um, or lightly oil-soluble and it can penetrate a little bit better. That's very mm-hmm. cool. I don't think anyone talks about that. Yeah, and that's also why they always tell you to clean your face before you apply any treatment. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, any final advice uh, you'd like to give the consumers or your listeners or your fans? Um, there's lots of noise out there about what's quote-unquote harmful, um, especially with stuff like the silicones and naturals. And I know like sometimes people, you might be relying on your cream for the better part of the past decade and it's been working out great for you. And all of a sudden you might hear that, oh, this uh, silicone is bad for you or petrolatum is bad for you from the internet. It might be tempting to throw it out and start over, but honestly, if it's been working for you, just, just stick with it. Good advice. Yeah, listen to your skin. That's that's really great advice. Thank you so much. Well, Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu, you survived the hot seat. Thank you for taking your valuable <laughs> time to spend Saturday with our listeners. And I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you and your hatchery and so on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Our journey has drawn to a close. I hope you've enjoyed this sixth episode of Beauty GPS in the Hot Seat with chemist Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu. As Gloria says, when trying to navigate around some of the romantic marketing and confusing claims of the beauty industry, just listen to your skin. To learn more about Chemist Confessions, please visit our site at www.beautygps.com. Make sure your burning beauty and wellness questions get answered during our next live Q&A every first and third Saturday at noon. Thank you for listening. This is Mary Shook signing off. Beauty GPS in the hot seat is copyright 2019. All rights reserved.